0: Good morning again, and um, know some of you are are visiting. We're very glad that you're here with us. Um, I want to, you're you listen in for sure, but I I do want to speak directly to you if you're part of Church of the Lamb for a moment. Um, I I have this sense there's always a danger that this is something I you ate the day before, um, but I don't think that's it. that God is calling our church into a season in which we need to be deeply committed to prayer and seeking God's help for our church. Of course, we need this in every season, but there is something going on in which I sense that we need this in a deep and profound way. There are a couple reasons that I'm thinking of this, uh, at least a couple. There, there other things that, um, yeah, that play into this as well, but one is we're moving into the season of Lent very soon. The season of Lent is a season in which we seek to um, walk with Jesus on the way that He lived, which is the way of His cross, and we seek to use this season to allow our lives to be conformed more to the life and the pattern of Jesus's life, which was death and resurrection. And in the season of Lent, we we narrow our lives. We seek to bring it down into the core essentials of not seeking to live by bread alone, but by the Word of God, by prayer, by dependence on Him. And so in one sense, I'm asking you to begin thinking ahead of how are you going to narrow your life in this season of Lent. And I'm asking you if you will make our church and prayer for our church a central part of your life in this season of Lent. Another piece that I'm thinking about is that over the last couple of months, and Lois Shank, who's on our vestry, will speak to this more next week, our building team has been meeting a lot, every week to every other week. And in the next couple of months, they will be at a place where they will be able to share with our church a proposal for a really a a first structure on our property. And here's what I want you to hear in this. The most important thing our church will ever do is not build structures. The most important thing our church will do is lay ourselves down for the life of the kingdom of God. That's That's the most important thing we can do. But somehow, we have to find the way that structures fit in with that and that's a tricky thing. And whatever it is that we do, the proposal is going to be a number that it is going to be really hard for us to figure out, God, how in the world are you going to make that work? And so I'm asking you, if you will pray for us, pray for our church, that the Lord, the Holy Spirit will help us find the way in all of this, that He would have us to go. That we would not be defeated by fear. That we wouldn't be overcome with some kind of selfish desire. But that we would be truly led by the work of the Holy Spirit. And provided for. Like the children of Israel were provided with manna from heaven. That Lord, the Lord would provide for us in His way and not our way. So I'm asking you, will you begin with me to pray for these things, that it's hard for me, too, to see the way forward in these things right now. Will you begin praying? Now, I want to share with you from this passage that um, I actually preached on this a couple of years ago, um, and it was just really meaningful to me. The Lord used this in my life. If you remember it, I'm just going to be impressed, and I'm not going to feel bad about it at all. I'm just going to, that's great. But this is a a story that the Lord has used in my life and continues to draw me into. So this story of the disciples and of Peter is what you might call an archetypal story. What that means is, it's not just a story that's for them. It's an example for the stages that we all go through over and over again in a life of faith. If you follow Jesus... You will go through stages like this in your life over and over and over again. So I'm going to walk us through several stages in the life of faith. And here's the first stage. We are sent by Jesus into a storm. We are sent by Jesus into a storm. This is the first verse of the story in Matthew chapter 14 verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Now I want you to listen to me carefully. I am not saying that Jesus made the storm and then set them into it. There are great mysteries of faith about how all these things work together in our lives. And I don't think we'll ever completely understand them until we get into the kingdom of God fully. But there are storms of life into which Jesus does send us. And that's what happens here. Matthew intentionally uses forceful and imperatival language to describe it. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And Jesus, meanwhile, stays behind alone to pray. We're told in verses 23 and 24, the story, that when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now, our word for beaten in the English language does not nearly convey what's happening here. The word describing the force of the waves against the boat means to harass or to torture. The wind is also against the boat. What's happening here is that the sea and the wind are being personified as if they have joined forces and together they are targeting the disciples. They're trying to destroy them. Jesus has sent the disciples into a storm that seems to have a life of its own. A storm that seems to be seeking to destroy them. And is that not what life feels like sometimes? We seemed sometimes to have been sent into a storm with a target on our back. The storm of the world, the storm of our own family's brokenness that caves in on us, the storm of grief and loss sometimes. And when we're in a storm, it's not a stretch to say that there are forces that seem to be allied against us, akin to the wind and the waves in the disciples' story. It's as if the disciples are being prepared in some way for the storms that they are going to experience later after Jesus' ascension. Storms such as persecution and antagonism because of their faith in Jesus. There are dark spiritual forces in the world that conspire to unravel our lives. And like the wind and the waves, the enemy targets all of us using weapons to which we are most vulnerable. So there's an element of our story that's really important to pick up on. The disciples already had superstitions about the sea. So seas are such unpredictable places in bad weather, right? And so people in the ancient world speculated about malicious spiritual forces that lived in the sea. The sea is one of the places where the disciples are most vulnerable to fear, to lacking in faith. I wonder if you were asked, what are the places that you are the most vulnerable in your life To fear, what would you say? The places in your life where you are the most vulnerable to lacking faith, would it be related to money? Would it be related to failure in some way? Would it be related to uh, being left alone and unloved? What are the places where you are most vulnerable to being fearful? And lacking faith in God and His presence. Are we surprised, I wonder, that our entire culture, our news and media sources are so saturated with fear right now that they prey on our fears? And we know from Yoda that fear leads to anger, right? So perhaps even the anger that we see so widespread among us is only a symptom of a deeper spiritual malady that we all fall prey to, fear. Jesus has sent us into a storm, and here is what's worse. The disciples have no idea where Jesus is. Remember, we're told that the boat it was, it was already being beaten by the waves by evening, okay? The time frames are really important here. By evening, Jesus was alone, and the boat was being beaten by the waves, tortured, harassed. And then in verse 25, we're told that in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea, which that sounds well and nice. He's coming to rescue them, right? Until you realize that the fourth watch of the night is between three and six in the morning. Which means that by the time Jesus arrives, the disciples have battled the storm alone for 10 to 12 hours. And what was Jesus doing during that time? He was praying alone. Don't you think this was an inappropriate time for him to be praying? Alone? We need to exercise caution here. One of the most important promises of God is that he will never leave nor forsake his people. That promise is true and it includes everyone who calls on him. He does not abandon you. He does not. But it's also true that in the experience of our lives, it can be very difficult to find God when we are in a storm. And it can feel as if you are very, very alone. This is the first stage in the life of faith, one that we will all experience over and over again if we follow Jesus. We are sent into a storm. And here's a second stage in the life of faith. Jesus comes to us out of the storm. Out of the storm. I want you to imagine being on the sea and pitch dark. I hate being on water. I hate it. I just like being on land. I really do. Imagine being on the sea. It's pitch dark. What happened? Oh, Lucy agreed? Oh, Abel did. Good. Amen. The waves are crashing around you and the boat, remember, is filling with water. Imagine all of this. The wind is gusting And then, in the midst of all of this, if this is not enough, a figure appears on the sea walking towards you. Imagine this. If you happen to be Jewish, you are already afraid of the water. You already halfway believe in a spiritual force within it. And now in a storm that's about to drown you, there's a figure walking on the water towards you. Maybe the lore is true. Maybe Poseidon does exist. And this walking figure will seal our doom. Here's something surprising in the story. This is the first time we are actually told that the disciples are afraid. Ironically, The first time we are told that the disciples are afraid is the moment that they unknowingly are seeing Jesus. Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. All right, I asked a question a few minutes ago. I want you to think for a moment of the things that you are most afraid of. Maybe it's failure. Maybe it's being unloved and left alone. Rejected. Is it possible that the place in your life of your greatest fear is actually where the Lord Jesus wants to come to you and reveal Himself? You see, the disciples, they cry out in fear. And then out of the storm and the darkness comes this familiar voice of Jesus. Take heart or have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. I I, I think it's remarkable for us Christians today that even the disciples do not recognize Jesus by His physical features. The way they recognize Jesus is the same way we're to recognize Him today by the sound of His voice and by His Word. I am. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. You know, Jesus, He could have come to the disciples as this angel from heaven staging a dramatic parting of the darkness. Think of all the better ways He could have come. He could have stilled the waters before He came. Sort of an on-ramp. Hey guys, chill out. I'm coming. But no... He comes to comfort them out of the heart of the storm. Again, what Jesus is doing is He's appearing to them in the place of their greatest fear. I want you to hear this. This is what Jesus has to do to overcome our fears. He must show Himself to be present and more powerful than those things we fear the most in our lives. And this is where Jesus will often be. In those things that you fear the most. We simply cannot grow as people of faith without facing our fears. I hope that you wrestle with this and hear this. If you want to be a person of faith, you cannot grow without facing your greatest fears. And this appears to be the reason that Jesus has actually waited so long. Remember, Jesus is alone praying. The disciples 10 to 12 hours wrestling with the waves in the sea. This appears to be the reason that Jesus has waited so long. To allow their fears to reach their greatest height. And to show them His power when their fears are the greatest. If you're looking for Jesus in a storm, I hope that you will pray and consider those places that you most dread to look in your life. And here's the thing, the things that you fear the most are usually deep within your own soul. They're not in someone else, they're in you. And this is where Jesus often is, seeking to assure you that He's greater than those fears. You know, His words to the disciples, it is I. They're actually the Old Testament name for God. It's the words, I am. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. He made the seas themselves. He cannot be overcome by them. He cannot. So a first stage in the life of faith is Jesus sends us into a storm. The second stage is the Jesus comes to us out of the storm. These are stages we experience over and over in our lives. And here's the final stage, and I'm going, to compare, I'm going to combine several moments into one. We step out, we sink, and we're saved. We step out, we sink, and we are saved. So Peter is a model of, of the recklessness that all of us need to be disciples of Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be just a little bit reckless. You do. It's good to calculate sometimes, but sometimes you need to stop the calculations. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, command me to go, come to you on the water. Remember, the storm is still raging. The waters have yet to become smooth. You have to imagine the disciples, like, no, Peter, just, he's coming. Let him come. But Peter wants to step out. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to experience all the power that is available in being with Jesus. If Jesus can walk on the waves, I want to walk on the waves. So Jesus does not want us to wait for him to initiate everything in our spiritual lives. Listen, we always want God to come to us. Lord, come, come to me. It's easier if you'll just come to me. But sometimes we're supposed to go to him. Draw near to God, James says, and he will draw near to you. Are you taking steps yourself out to God in the places that you fear the most? So Peter reckless with desire, steps out onto the water, and he walks toward Jesus. And he must have become very close to Jesus before it happened, but here's what happens. His head starts to catch up with his heart. (laughs) He notices the wind again. Fear creeps back, and he starts to sink. And he's in the middle of thrashing waves. He, He was going to be lost in no time. The image here is that of sinking into an abyss. That's what's happening to Peter. Physically and spiritually, he will be lost if he's not saved. And this is the abyss to which all of us are in danger. All of us. And Peter cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, in an act of physical and spiritual salvation, He grasps hold of Peter and pulls him out of the water. Now, I want to ask you, what did Peter lose in this whole situation? In the experience of stepping out, sinking, failing in a sense, and being saved. What did he lose? He lost nothing. In fact, he gained he gained an opportunity to be saved by Jesus and to learn and to be able to testify to others that Jesus really can save us when we're sinking. And that this is who Jesus always has to be for us. You know, we can never grow to a point in our lives where we can call some, Jesus something that makes us feel better about ourselves. If Jesus is to be anything for us, he has to be our Savior. That's it. He's either our Savior delivering us from all our abysses of fear and the abyss of hell itself, or He's nothing to us. That's who He is. He is Savior and Lord. Now Jesus then brings Peter with Him into the boat. And this, only at this moment when Jesus brings Peter into the boat with Him, does the water finally become still. It actually tells us that the water became weary. It was tired of fighting against God. It was going to lose. And at that moment, the boat actually becomes a church, and all the disciples worship. They worship. I want to make just three final observations, and we'll close, and those are going to be brief. As I said at the beginning, this story is not just about Peter. It's the story of all our lives. Jesus sends us into a storm, and then he comes to us from the midst of the storm. We step out toward him in faith. We become weak and fragile and we sink, but we're saved over and over. Here's one observation. Jesus, he doesn't just suggest it, he commands us not to fear. Fear not, it is I. The implication that Jesus makes is I forbid you to go on fearing for one more second. I forbid it. Stop being afraid. Human beings have been created not to drown in a vortex of fear, but to fall down before the majesty of the Savior who loves us so much and invites us to have life and joy in a communion of adoration. So I want to say to you personally and to us as a church, we should not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Also, the distance between us and the Lord Jesus is not a physical distance. Think about it. Peter, he was almost to Jesus, starts to sink. The the problem was not a physical distance between him and Jesus. The problem was a spiritual and emotional distance. The problem in our lives is not that we're distant from Jesus. He, it will come As close to us as our own skin. Closer to us than we are to ourselves. The problem is a spiritual distance a fear. And He wants to save us from that. Do not be afraid. A second of observation. And I mentioned this at the beginning. The things of the world do not have power over us in and of themselves. The only power they have over us is the power we give to them. The waves, they did not have ultimate power over the disciples or over Peter as long as their eyes were on Jesus. I wonder if you're giving the world power over you in some way. A power that really only belongs to God. And a final observation. Observation. This is epiphany. This is the season in which the church reflects on its role to to minister to the world, to announce the name of Jesus to our family and our friends and people who do not not know Jesus. And, And that's a scary thing sometimes to think about our role to take the name of Jesus to people around us. But Jesus is showing Peter in this story how he will bear witness to him in the world. And think about this. Peter, in a sense, brings Jesus into the boat to the disciples. In a sense. But Jesus is actually carrying Peter. The only way Peter makes it back into the boat is because Jesus saves him. And here is what it will always look like for you to share the name and love of Jesus with people. It's simply to humbly say, I needed Him and He saved me. It is in gratitude to acknowledge that God has loved you and cared for you and rescued you. It's not something that we have to feel confident in ourselves about. It's only something that we're to feel confident in His love and in His mercy. And He can do that for you. He can give you that kind of strength, that kind of humility. He can fill you with His love. And so, Church of the Lamb, are we living in fear in any way? No matter what God calls us to do in the next six months, the fear should not stop us from doing anything. Are you trusting in Him? that He has called you to be an, His ambassador to others and to speak of His love towards you, to those around you. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.